Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. All right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, this is this is one that's a long time coming, guys. We are talking about the third entry in the Bill and Ted saga, Bill and Ted Face the Music. It's been 20-something years since... The second one, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And if you listened last week, my co-host Joe Black joined me to discuss those first two movies. And he is back now to talk about Face the Music. And I will just let you know right here at the top of the show, uh, Joe didn't like this movie very much. And he has quite a few strong opinions about... uh, some of the themes and ideas that are put forward by Bill and Ted face the music. And I think we had a great conversation talking about what this movie means, what it means to the trilogy and what it means as far as movies in 2020 and also what music means in 2020, because obviously music is so heavily ingrained in the meaning of these movies. So we get into some, some pretty big stuff in this episode. So buckle up and here we go. But before we do get into that, I want to remind you, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. And you can rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. So with all that said, it's time to get into Bill and Ted Face the Music. All right, so last week we talked about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and now Joe Black is back with us to talk about Bill and Ted Face the Music. How's it going, Joe? Oh, you know, uh, I've seen better days. (laughs) So uh, this is, I can already tell, this is going to be a highly emotional episode of Piecing It Together. Um, We're... we're... (laughs) We've, we've got a lot to talk about here. I'm going to do my best to not let emotion factor in. I want to be now, as objective I, as possible. I think it's important to tell the listeners um, to, a little bit about your experience watching this movie, just so they they understand. I mean, obviously, if they listen to the last one, they know that these movies mean a lot to you to begin with. So, yeah. But also, I, I would I would imagine that the uh, the factors surrounding your viewing of the movie might have affected things a little bit, maybe. Only for the positive, though, like surprisingly. So, uh, um, uh, yeah, Bill and Ted, kind of my favorite thing in the world. As I've said before, I have it tattooed on me. That's how much I love them. I, uh, uh, 
my fiance Kat woke me up one day and was like, I got us tickets to go see it in El Paso, Texas. We live in Los Angeles and nothing is open here. But at the Alamo Draft House in El Paso, they were doing a, a screening of it. Um, it came out on Thursday on VOD, but they were screening it on Wednesday. So basically a day early. So she and I woke up at 530 on Wednesday morning. And uh, well, we actually woke up at 445 and we drove all the way to El Paso, Texas, dropped things off at an Airbnb. Um, went and saw the, uh, I don't even want to call it a movie, but we went and saw it and we faced the music and then, uh, uh we, <laughs> we had a rib dinner, woke up the next morning and drove home. Um, oh boy. Yeah. Crossed four States to see this thing. Um, I, I've, I've driven to LA from Vegas to watch specifically to watch a movie, but that is, it's that's four a hours. Whole level. Yeah. 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 That's, that, that's the, a whole, that's a whole nother level, man. I, I can only imagine the mindset that that would put one in, uh, but, you know... I don't think I could have survived what happened had it not been for the circumstance, though. Sure. Like, truly, like, I, I you know, uh, being a filmmaker, let alone a film lover, let alone a Bill and Ted uh, fanatic, uh, it, what happened on that screen um, was just a, just a horror show, um, just a tragic, tragic horror show. And... Uh, but like I loved so much that uh, the that cat knows and loves me so much that she did that for me. I loved taking the trip with her. I you know I the Airbnb was lovely. It was it, it turned it into an experience that I can have outside of that ninety dreadful minutes. All right, all right. Well, all I ask, Joe, I I know you did not like this movie. All I ask is that. Uh, in the process of talking about the films that we think may have inspired Bill and Ted Face the Music, uh, you know, let, let, let's go into this thing, uh, you know, ready, ready to, to, to celebrate these characters and to, uh, you know, look at this thing in the most well-rounded way possible and not, you know. Absolutely, because that's what much. Bill and Ted would do, man. Exactly. So, like, yeah. Exactly. I, you know. So, <laughs> why don't we jump right into some puzzle pieces here? We'll we'll get to talk about all the things we liked and didn't like about the movie along the way. But what do you got for your first piece? Okay, so I, I in in order to organize myself to keep me from getting too uh, overzealous in my uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> Good work. I, I I I instead of doing pieces that might have inspired it, I decided to do this thing in my mind where I was like, what are movie sequels that like took way too long to happen you know what mm. i mean and i and what what it surprised me was how many there are that sure. like you forget that there's like 10 years between certain movies and shit like that and um so i i listed them all then i broke them up into five different categories and mm. uh the first category that i had was sequels that are too big they're like it's it's the the the, the franchise is too big for it to really be ultimately completely successful so you got like your star wars Right. Like Phantom Menace and Force Awakens were destined to fail no matter what. Right. Mm -hmm. um, Indiana Jones four, uh, the Godfather three. These are things that just were like kind of dead on arrival to an extent, uh, no matter the quality of the films themselves. But the one I want to focus on for this category is Star Trek 2009. OK. J.J. Um, uh, Abrams. We yeah, calm down. All right. So. <laughs> J.J. Abrams wanted to direct Star Wars. Good for him. So he made Star Trek. Good for him. Um, the positives of Star Trek 2009 were uh, they took a, an intellectual property that everybody knew about 
it had like a cult following, but everyone knows everyone in pop culture knows the fundamentals of, you know, Kirk enterprise, you know, phasers, whatever Spock too. You got it. Yeah, exactly. Kirk, well, Kirk and Spock all more as a unit really than even as individuals though. Right. You know? And so he took those elements and he made these broad stroke characters, um, like caricatures basically of all the original characters put them in a ridiculous A to B scenario full of plot holes. But when you get into time travel, unless you're Bill and Ted, you really are digging yourself a hole to begin with. Um, Mm -hmm. But what was so Star Trek for Star Trek fans was so grossly offensive because he just obviously didn't understand Star Star Trek. Like he didn't understand that Kirk is not a stupid cowboy womanizer. He didn't understand that Star uh, Starfleet is not like a military organization. He didn't, you know, like so all of us star trek fans as soon as kirk puts money on the bar at the beginning we're like um excuse me there is no money in star trek or as soon as he sees the ship being built uh on earth we're like um no they build the ships in in orbit off of mars it's fine now we all kind of had to suppress that um because in our minds to quote star trek you know like well in our minds the good outweighed the bad you know what i mean the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one as spock says sure. in rathacon and for what it is star trek 2009 is a great looking breezy forgettable fun movie sure and that's coming from me who <laughs> more than hates that movie um yeah that's very nice of you exactly exactly and had bill and ted been that maybe I would have forgiven it a little bit. But um, but the lesson that I personally took from Star Trek was that no matter how good that movie was, look what's happened to Star Trek since. The, all the TV shows now are like violent and stupid and your typical war battle bullshit shows completely destroying the whole original idea of Star Trek, which was this future of harmony. Like where mm-hmm. we as human beings live in harmony and we have evolved past petty, you know, squabbles. We no more bigotry, no more racism, no more class systems. It is utopia for humans. So we can now go and explore other races. We're not fighting other races. We're not conquering other races. But the shows now, because of the gate that Star Trek 09 opened, it allowed for that kind of pollution. And sure. um, Bill and Ted, I don't see there being more Bill and Ted's after this please but um like when you talk about people who just got the fundamentals wrong right to begin with i mean bill and ted's music was supposed to bring the planet together in harmony it wasn't supposed to stop a doomsday device right. like so this apocalyptic nonsense like right out of the gate it's like oh you don't you don't get it like like the, it was about creating harmony not about literally saving the world from some evil force now Okay, so we're getting right into that immediately here with the first piece, and we're we're already on to the fact that that whole setup has been changed a little bit here with this mm-hmm. this third movie. And now, of course, we do have the original writers here, mm-hmm. so you know we we've got our stars back. Do you think that after all this time, they get the opportunity to finally make the third one and? did they have anything in mind or did they just jump right in and start writing right then and there? Well, we'll get to, uh, I'll, I'll brush up on that a little bit with uh, my third puzzle piece. Okay. But, uh, like when it comes to that, but what, what I'll say is um, you go back and you watch the end of bogus journey and save for when the gun magically appears in Denomalos's hand, 
that finale is so wonderful and mm. them um performing you know god gave rock and roll is like it's the greatest finale that you could ask for for bill and ted you know sure. so when you hear about this new one you're like okay so they're just ignoring the canon of themselves to begin with which is very mm -hmm. strange you know like like they're ignoring that they had great success they're they're even ignoring that bill and little bill and little ted were boys like you know like they're ignoring all of this and because of how good the second one was because the second one wasn't just some like cash grab rehash you think to yourself oh maybe they're doing this for a reason mm -hmm. and um the reason <laughs> the only reason I can I can see after watching it, I don't even want to call it a movie, uh, was that they were uh, bored. Well, I am going to move on to my next puzzle piece. Mm -hmm. uh, but I will say, though, leading into it, uh, I, I should just get this out of the way. I also didn't love it, but I think I liked it more than you did, but we'll see where I'm at by the end of this conversation. Sure. Uh, so with that being said, uh, you went with Star Trek and you mentioned Star Wars along the way. I'm going to go with the Star Wars sequel trilogy, uh, which of course acts as both a continuation of, of the originals as well as sort of this reboot to set up new characters and a new hero along the way. And that is exactly what we're doing here. We are getting back all of our all of our favorites and giving them things to do while also trying to set up these new characters, Bill and Ted's daughters, who I found to be pretty fun, even if they, you know, were a part of the engine that was to ruin Joe Black's dreams. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I, so I personally, I, I, I think that they had, I think that they had their heart in the right place though, with these two characters. I think that they were fun. I think, uh, the, the fact that, that Ted was, uh, strictly just a, uh, a caricature, you know, impression, uh, and, and Bill being more of like a straightforward character kind of, I, I liked that way of putting these characters together. I, I'm not going to sit here and praise them because I also don't think that they really had anything to do with these characters aside from just send them on a, a repeat of the first movie just with musicians Ugh. instead. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm saying though that I come in somewhere far above Joe on this one. I, I, I definitely think that they were at least a little bit of fun. Well, I thought that they were just god awful in every way. Um, because, for, well, first of all, the two actresses—you can tell that uh, they, uh, the act, the actor who played Theodore, Samara, Samara Weaving played uh, uh, T, and Bridget Lundy Payne played Billy. So T um, was—you could tell that uh, what's her name, the actress who played T. It doesn't matter. You could tell yeah, that they watched a a clip on YouTube before the audition real quick and like just did it because there's nothing going on there. The genius to Keanu Reeves as a performer is that he's not stupid. He's like, he's actually a brilliant actor who mm. is like his performance in speed. I genuinely think is one of the most underrated performances of all time. It's so nuanced and brilliant. And she's just doing a bad impression. Uh, weaving. You can tell that she like has heard of Bill and Ted, maybe like through the grapevine. Like, uh, like there is no character there. And like, I've never before noticed somebody being so like trying to hide their like their accent so badly. Like it was <laughs> watching the two of them was a shit show. 
and their characters are everything that's wrong with um with modern uh care i'll get into that later though but um for but when you're talking about your piece there the the star, star wars, wars sequel trilogy force awakens as you know up until a couple days ago was probably my least favorite movie of all time this movie uh um but the last jedi i thought was brilliant now sure. a lot of people hated the last jedi you and i are in the minority uh, at least mm-hmm. the vocal minority that we liked it and i can see where as a star wars fan that would be a tough pill to swallow because it's scary what they're saying in that movie you know what i mean they're sure. kind of like saying we need to move on we need need to move past this bill and ted could have done the same thing had it not been for the fact that the daughters just flat out steal the journey of bill and ted and bill and ted themselves have no effect on the outcome without the help of others like so like even at the end of the movie when their daughters are the ones who are supposed to do the song that saves the world um it's the wives who figure out how to use the phone booth properly to put instruments in everybody's hands bill and ted are just completely inept and see, and to that point, and I, I know, I knew before I even saw the movie, when you, when you messaged me and told me you'd seen it the two days early and just, you just sounded just utterly defeated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew immediately why you were, you know, why you didn't like this movie. I, I, I knew that that was coming, you know, it's a but step further though, it's a step further than what you would have assumed because the girls don't even play fucking instruments. No, they don't at all. <laughs> but, but, but. And here's the thing, though, and and again, this is all going to be very tempered, uh, my, my my defending of the movie. But but here's the thing, though, is that Bill and Ted are absolutely a part of this whole thing. They're they're a part of the band. They they went back in time in the first movie, met the princesses, got married, had these kids, raised them. It's still but- them who are are the engine for saving this you know this future. I don't agree because nothing that they learned other than their passion for music was imparted to their children. Like mm. their kids are smarter than them. Their kids are better. At, like it's nothing that they, they, they are losers. And this mm-hmm. goes into a, um, to a much deeper, darker, uh, territory that, uh, I was planning on getting into a little bit later, um, <laughs> of, of the agenda behind this movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, that that also part piece number three is the real is going to be the uh, real bombshell. So let's get to two. Yeah, um, let's let's get to number yeah. two. What do you got? What do you got next? OK, so the other another category of um, sequels that took forever are the sequels that no one asked for. Mm. Right. So you've got movies like Texasville, uh, which was a sequel to The Last Picture Show or hmm. Evening Star, which was a, a, a sequel to um, Terms of Endearment. Did you even know about these films? No, not exactly. Yet. But you've heard of those first ones, right? You know what I mean? Sure. Like, it's like, who needs a sequel to Terms of Endearment? She died of cancer. The end. <laughs> um, then you've got like Basic Instinct 2, which is like, you know, mm. I don't really know, want to know what Sharon Stone is up to pushing 60. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But um, the one that nobody asked for that I really, that I personally really love, I'm trying to keep this positive, is Blues Brothers 2000. Okay. So Blues Brothers 2000 gets a lot of valid criticism for being a unnecessary rehash of the original minus some of the magic that made it what it was. Correct. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely correct, critic. You know, um, sure. for sure. One of the reasons I love, or, well, a couple of the reasons I love this movie so much, though, are one, it existed as a love letter to those who were gone and forgotten. 
right? Like it, it, it existed as a love letter to how the to what Jim Belushi or John Belushi, rather Jim Belushi, what John Belushi, what um, Cab Calloway, what all these people had to offer the world, right? Mm-hmm. And and the fact that they're older now, the uh, Dan Aykroyd and even John Landis, they're in that phase of their life where they're reflecting on the things that that made their lives what they are that are now gone. Right. Mm-hmm. But the movie then takes it a step further, too, and tries to preserve what can be preserved, which is the music itself, because the music is in the, the type of music, the blues, you know, the hard blues and electric blues is in the same danger of being forgotten, like John Belushi, like, you know what I mean? Like Callaway. Sure. So the movie exists also as a reminder to people. That's why they have the character of Buster, who learns to grow an appreciation for this kind of music. And the film doesn't try to like shove it in our faces that modern music sucks. It it all it does is reminds us of how valid this thing is and how right. it can still be effective. And for me, I really love that as much of a rehash as the movie is. And as I love Blues Brothers 2000 and had mm-hmm. Bill and Ted done something like that, we're, we'd be in good shape. But no, I do not believe that the world will be saved by Jesus playing a cowbell to a Kid Cudi beat. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I do, I do love the passion with which you just spoke about Blues Brothers 2000. So if nothing else, we got that from this movie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah, I, I do, you know, we talked about this on the last episode about how much the first two, uh, movies love music. Uh, Mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, I just posted an audiogram of a clip of that portion of the conversation and That is, I definitely think, something this movie is kind of missing. And unfortunately, it goes right back to something I was saying during that conversation, and that is that people don't love music. Now, I mean, music has just become this kind of, uh, it's content, you know? And I I don't think, I, I think it's just... A thing that people put on and collect, or and that's maybe the not evils even that. of the ending. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There, and my buddy Vincent put it best when he was talking about this movie. He hated it as well. That there are mm. no more rock stars. Kid fucking right. Cuddy, are you kidding me? Right, that's you the know best I mean? thing. Yeah, I mean, I I listen to you know plenty of hip hop. I I've sure. heard two two Kid Cuddy songs. You know, right, right, exactly. But but again, even Kid Cuddy in the movie, like he's not. A, a fucking rock star. He's some super intelligent, you know, astrophysicist of sorts. It's like right. this is. It feels like a not funny joke because it, that's what it is. And even Dave Grohl popping up. Dave Grohl popping up was so sad. That was actually. I will give the movie credit. The one sequence I really liked in the movie was them being British in the mansion, <laughs> like the future selves <laughs> acting British. I thought that was really brilliant. And Alex Winter deserves many accolades and awards for his performance in this movie as Bill. He's brilliant in this movie um but dave grohl pops up because it turns out it turns out twist it's his house and like when he popped up i was like yeah he's not really a rock star either anymore man he's in the fucking muppets these days it's it's outdated to have him in the movie yeah in a way in a weird way the best is in bogus journey when the guy from faith no more his one line (laughs) in the movie is he's just looking at a picture of denomalos and just goes what a shithead (laughs) <laughs> like that's that's his only contribution to the movie and that's beautiful you know but in this they say dave Grohl's house every time they talk about the house because it's like referential and funny and that's right right well before i move on to my next piece uh, i i do very short quick tangent you were just talking about alex winter how much you loved him in this uh do you think alex winter and keanu reeves are at least having fun with this uh absolutely 
Um, Keanu Reeves has proven himself in later years to be kind of, in my opinion, irresponsible um, hmm. for the sake of fun. Like I find the John Wick movies to be like progressively more and more like offensive and damning. Um, Love them. I, I, which I, I get, I, you know, yeah. but, um, but watching uh, somebody shoot people point blank in the head for 90 minutes does something to your soul. Yeah. Uh, like, well, like, I, I always but, did find it funny that he's like this America's sweetheart guy. And yet he makes the absolute most violent movies imaginable. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been defending really funny thing. I've been a Keanu defender for years. And I mean, of course, it starts because I loved Bill and Ted. That's one of my first cognizant loves for movies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like, I, you know, I was there through the dark years, through the Matrix sequels and the Constantine saying, no, these are actually good. And now people are coming around and pretending like they liked him all along. And I'm like, you liars, you absolute <laughs> liars. You did the same thing with Ben Affleck. You did the same thing with Eddie Murphy. You don't really care. Um, right. But the stuff he's doing now just seems really kind of pandering and servicey. I, Alex Winter, to me, of all the people involved, seemed like the one most invested uh, in, an, mm. uh, in a creative and artistic way. Um, and it shows in his performance. Keanu is very good as Ted, he, of course. You know what I mean? It's st- he's still got it. But Alex Winter is giving a performance. Alex Winter, you look in his eyes when he's performing. He's in the moment. He's mm-hmm. happening. He's um, he's not always going for the joke. He's not, you know, he's not afraid to go dark, which is why the second Bill and Ted works, you know. Um, right. And I was very grateful for that little like, like just when you think the movie's flatline, there's a little like, Beep, you know. Every now and then until that <laughs> fucking finale. Well, we'll get there, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm going to go. I'm just my saying I'm piece. being pretty to the point with my with my puzzle pieces. You're the one who's probing me. So this is on you. <laughs> this is on I, you. I, I know. I know. <laughs> it's going to happen. Uh, well, th- this one was inevitable, I think, even before we saw the movie. But uh, it's a movie that we covered here on the show before. It is Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Uh, Kevin Smith's rehash of previous movies featuring Jay and Silent Bob mm-hmm. with not really much to go on uh, as far as a, a furthering of the story. It's just, remember these moments? Let's kind of redo some of that, introduce some new characters, maybe pass it off to those new characters if we can. And uh, aside from that, just kind of cash in on nostalgia. Well, you played perfectly into my hands here because my third puzzle piece was Jane Silent Bob reboot slash Clerks 2. Yeah. Um, But (laughs) uh, so like this is from the category that I call cult sequels, movies that were made for specific little groups of people. And it didn't matter if it was 20 years because we're going to go anyway. So you got your your Super Troopers 2, which I really loved. Anchorman 2, which I think is even better than the first. Zoolander 2. Um, With Anchorman 2, I I know. I I, I think the story in Anchorman 2 is far better than the story of Anchorman 1, and there's a lot more to say. That may be fair, but we don't need to go down that tangent. <laughs> well, let's <laughs> we'll think, David. Which down. one has Kanye West in it? Um, so, <laughs> um, uh, but Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, or Jay and Silent Bob Reboot and Clerks 2 are the ones I want to focus on with this. Because okay. Clerks 2, he did what they did with Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which is he did not remake Clerks 1. Right. Right. He he pushed these people further in Clerks one. All they do is kind of realize why they're in such a shit situation in their life. In Clerks two, he calls them into action and it's mm-hmm. great. He gives them a new surrounding, a new environment. Um, it's it's fantastic. 
and flawed, you know, and flawed, but it's uh-huh. fantastic. Jay and Silent Bob reboot is what everyone was afraid Clerks 2 was going to be, which is sure. nothing but what they call now fan service. And, and worse than that, it's lazily made. The big one big problem I had with with Bill and Ted face the music is how poorly made the movie is. Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you see it at a theater. Oh, no, I, I had to see it at home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you could tell, but in the in the theater, in the scenes in the future, especially, I mean, you could tell at home that the green screen was bad, but mm-hmm. literally in the theater, you can see the blue screen in uh, Alex Winter's hair. You can yeah, see it, it. It felt very cheap. I, I Yeah. I that can, robot mm. costume. What the fuck was that? Like I so I think I may have mentioned this, but one of the producers of the movie um, used to frequent a bar that I worked at and he showed me a clip on his phone. He showed me months ago. He showed me the prison scene. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Uh oh, but like when but, but when it was over, he was like, what do you think? And I was like, I well, you know, I'd be curious to see what the robot looks like when all the effects are done. Uh-huh. Not knowing that the effects were done. This that robot, if you haven't seen this movie, this robot makes the Power Rangers Zords look like, you know, like like real. Like it, it is so bad, this robot. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie commits um, all three sins that Jay and Silent Bob reboot commits, which is one, it's just a rehash of the plots from one and two. It's mm-hmm. literally like Bill and Ted traveling through time trying to you know get to a show on time and be a killer robot sent back from the future specifically designed to kill them and when it does they have to find death and get back to earth like awful um commits that sin b it commits the sin of being lazily slapped together this movie Mm. is so slapped together and i don't think that that's something that can be argued i'm not even you know what i mean like it looks bad it's it's a poorly made movie lastly the passing off of the torch to the daughters is inauthentic for two reasons. The exact same problems with Jane Sambab reboot, which are one, this idea of like having more women in movies and more franchises built around women. Great. Let's do it. Rock and roll. Yeah. 100%. I think it is the antithesis of the idea for that movement to try to do that with franchises where the women will simply be piggybacking on off of the success of, white male led franchises. So don't mm. give me a fucking female James Bond. Give me atomic blonde. Don't you know what I mean? Like, right, like, right. So the, the just fundamental, the, 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 the fundamentals of that idea are so stupid and so regressive. I can't handle it. But two, and this is what I was talking about with the music thing. The most offensive thing out of all of the movie to me was, was, was actually beyond Bill and Ted. Not, it didn't matter that they were fucking with the canon where Bill and Ted, in Bill and Ted, Rufus was not some wise mystic like they say he is in this one. Um, wild stallions, not Preston and Logan, changed the world with their music. Mm-hmm. In this, it's not wild stallions, Preston and Logan, because, oh, plot twist, it was the girls all along. But, so like fucking with the canon, that's one way to really break my heart. But the scary thing in the movie is that these girls don't play music. And it's they, spe- they, even, they even say they don't. Exactly. At at the big climactic scene. This is the creepiest. This is where we get into um, where people like really shut me off and call me a conspiracy theorist. No, this is an attack. (laughs) No, seriously. Bear with. Um, So (laughs) I just made bare hands. If you guys can't see, that's what I do. Anyways. um, So these girls, 
their mission in the movie is they decide to go back in time and put together a super group to help their dads play at the show, right? And how do they get each one of these people? By sharing their fandom, right? Mm -hmm. They basically fan and geek out on these people and the flattery gets to all of them and they come together because of their fandom. And then the Mm -hmm. girls play a metronome, you know, basic beat and get the credit for what all these people do and save the world, right? By creating harmonious music or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that speaks to all the evils and ills of this current culture, of this nerd fan culture, of the millennial generation. Bill and Ted, when they saved the world, they still had to do 16 months of guitar lessons. (laughs) Bill and Ted actually had to had to put in effort, had to learn how to create. They had to put in the time. They had to put in the care and consideration to really know what it is to create something. I'm sorry, millennial generation, but you cannot replicate the things you love. You just can't do it. All Mm. you can do is be inspired by them to create great things yourself. But this movie dares to and 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 the and on top of the girls not playing and just doing that stupid fucking dj beat which how did two of them do it at the same time and both take credit is beyond me but (laughs) but putting in the movie they put an instrument in everybody's hand across all of space and time what are you Mm -hmm. talking about what are you talking about nobody knows how to play the fucking trumpet that's why louis that's why louis armstrong is amazing you know what I mean? Because he took the time. He cared enough. It's his passion. It's not yours. You may be passionate about what he made, but creating was his passion and using that as his instrument. To There's a severe, serious attack on story and streaming movies and, and digital filmmaking. All of this stuff is designed to attack stories. It is designed to create, to turn story into content. And the reason you want to turn, and if you're evil... The reason you want to turn story into content is because stories, stories exist to to educate and inspire. Mm. And you don't want that. As the world becomes more and more aware of what's actually going on in it, you don't want people to be inspired or educated. You want people to be busy. Right, right. <laughs> so exactly. Like, so this movie is existing to reaffirm that idea. In the most evil way, which is to say, almost unintent, almost without knowing it, like right. that's that's how deeply rooted well, this. That that's exactly right because I think they went into this with the best of intentions. I I, I think you're 100 percent right that they didn't realize that that's kind of the message that they're putting forward. Well, and it's hard to argue with like everybody came together and played music at the end, and there was peace and right. harmony. It's like yeah, correct. Um, none of those people could play any music. Do you know what that would actually fucking sound like? And also, I mean, this is taking it like even further, the idea of Bill and Ted in the film, suddenly Bill and Ted are not good husbands. Suddenly Bill and Ted are arguably not good fathers. And the thing that makes them good fathers is that they pass their, their fan of musicdom onto their daughters. And what creeps me out about that is because that almost exists to like emasculate men in a Mm. way. Like there are no positive male characters in this. They like Bill and Ted are positive people, but they don't do anything. They, you know Mm. what I mean? They don't actually have an effect other than literally fighting with themselves for the whole movie only Mm. to let, you know, women take over at the end, which is a terrifying thing. I did love at the beginning of the film. I had such hope, David, because I thought 
when they played at the wedding, what was incredible at the, the movie opens with them performing at a wedding and everybody hates it. But what was really incredible was that their music was good for what it was. His throat singing was awesome and really well right. done there. That theremin playing Ted was playing that theremin, like a fucking like maestro. Like it was amazing. Right. But the, pr but the problem is, so this is really interesting. This is the only part that's really tangent for me. Art, what is art? My buddy uh, Andre and I were talking about this the other day, and he put it very clearly for me, and I loved it. He said, art is the sliding scale between an idea and an abstract, right? So like art is you trying to bring those two together to a certain degree, an idea, mm -hmm. a concept, and an abstract. So you've got on this sliding scale of art, you've got stuff that's like flat out, like, you know, idea, concept. You got your like, you know, Britney Spears pop music. I'm not a girl, not yet a woman, right? And on mm -hmm. your like way too abstract side, you've got your like Jackson Pollock where you're like, what the fuck is this? You know what right. I mean? Where you're too married. So that sliding scale is very important. Finding that sweet spot is what it means to be an artist and what it is to create something that will really have an effect. And what they almost seem like they were setting up in Bill and Ted is that Bill and Ted were so fixated on the pressure of being great that they lost sight of what it actually means to be great and just focused on being as good as they could at playing music. Like they learned mm -hmm. every instrument, they, you know, and they've gone so far in that Jackson Pollock deep end that they don't know how to connect with the world anymore. That right. they had to rediscover, that would have been a fucking epic movie, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and their daughters could have helped with that. And they could have made a band together. Like maybe their right. daughters who are like just starting out, who are like into pop music that Bill and Ted can't jive with. Like teach, like they could have done anything with that idea. And if, so for that first 10 minutes, I was like, oh my God, is there, is this what I was hoping for? Is there a chance that this could be, but no, at the end of the day, the guys who know everything about music are reduced to a guitar solo at the end of a song, hmm. you know? And that to me, again, is a violent attack on art, which is a violent attack on society. <laughs> so I, I will say before moving on, the, the first portion of what you were saying there uh, about the, the contentification of, of music and art and, and uh, it's just kind of uh, placating us. And I think that that is really interesting and it really does make the case, I think, for the, the biggest problem with the movie. You know, mm -hmm. in, in that it loses sight of what makes music special and what makes music important. And if this is a movie where music, you know, a series where m music is going to save the world, it's kind of got to be important. It can't just be this thing that, that, you know, people put on in the background or whatever, where people are a fan of, like you said. Uh, and so I think that that is really, really interesting. And I don't know. You, you kind of got to me with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I, 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 well, I appreciate you like letting me like, you know, rant and I appreciate, like, I hope I didn't get, because like I said, from the beginning of this podcast, three was going to be the big one where I got really yes. like, because here's the thing I, I get, that's the hill that I always die on. I am a theme and purpose person first when it comes to any movie. If you've ever heard, sure. if you know me or if you've heard any of the podcasts. I, I've that, noticed you know, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that's that's my thing. So that's always going to be the, 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 the lens that I see things through for better or worse. And it creates that disconnect that I was talking about where I do feel disconnected from society sometimes because of it. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Where like I can't go and enjoy Batman Begins. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It really 
sucks. But but on top of that, the reason why I'm I'm hoping that I'm doing a good job and will continue to good, do a good job for these last two pieces it, of not getting too emotional is because at the end of the day, the film is bad. It's a poorly made film. Right. So I'm not worried about it. Even if people watch it and like it, nobody is going to like 10 years from now be like, I want to watch Face the Music again. It's just not going right. to happen. Yeah. But, you know, I do think as many interesting points as, as you're bringing up for, for just how bad this gets, um, I do think, though, that it doesn't really, it doesn't hurt the first two movies. In, not at all. In any, yeah, in any real way. Like it, because it, the second one has a final, a, fin, a finale. It, it's an ending. Exactly. Yeah. The second one, the second one, this was, this to exist had to rewrite the whole canon. You know yeah. what I mean? Which is why it kind of works as reboot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like, like this one had to completely rewrite that canon. So, and that's fine. That's really fine. And there's always, there's so many ways they could have solved this. Why wouldn't it be that like the future reaches out to them because the universe is tearing itself apart? Maybe because of the things that happened in the first one, how they had to manipulate time and space to, you know, save the blah, blah, blah. So the they don't know what to do. And they're working with Bill and Ted. Mm -hmm. That's actually a good uh, setup for my next puzzle piece, awesome. uh, wh which is the Treehouse of Horrors 5 uh, time and punishment segment from The Simpsons, when it's Homer keeps messing shit up in the present by changing the past. Yes. This is kind of the exact opposite. I mean, they're going forward and everything just keeps getting worse and worse and they have to keep digging in and keep keep using the time machine and it's it's they're they're never going to really in any real way, be able to fix what they have started. And now that you mention it, that could have been really the place for the story to go. That, it could have been yeah. that this all has been in, in progress since the first one and they need to fix everything that they've changed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I just, I got really excited when you said that because um, that's my favorite episode of that show. And uh, mm -hmm. in my last film that I made, uh, you know, plug for my own work, uh, Tellers, there's a, um, the girl has a tattoo of a fish on her neck. And uh, <laughs> the main character, his thing that he says to her all the time is, I wish, I wish I hadn't killed that fish, right. which is from that episode. <laughs> in Homer's nice. Yeah, I, that's that's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. See, like, that's the weird thing. Like you said, there, there is a there is a third movie you could tell. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like, for sure, the destiny was fulfilled. But like, this is a nice little like post adventure. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Like that could have been. And that would be the perfect place to bring in the daughters. That's why like Star Wars The Last Jedi works for me too, because it's not like, oh, all of a sudden they found out that what Luke did and Darth Vader did had no effect. No, that's not true. The whole until fucking uh what that last one <laughs> Rise was of Skywalker. Rise of Awful. Skywalker. Yeah. Um, what the problem was was somebody was trying to bring that back. You know mm. what I mean? That was the that was the conflict of the new Star uh, Star Wars. So that's why you could bring in new characters and why the mantle could be passed on, right? And that's what original Star Trek is all the time. That's the conflict in Star Trek is somebody who doesn't understand and somebody who is, you know what I mean? And usually by sure. the end of Star Trek, they come to an understanding. Mm. Like you watch the first season of The Next Generation when they have to kill. There's this one episode with this slug species that goes into brains and turns people into mindless zombies. And at the end of it, um, Picard and Riker have to destroy the mm. species. And the last five minutes of the episode is dedicated to them talking about how what a shame it was and how much mm. it's affected them that they had to do this. And nowadays you've got like Star Trek where people are getting their eyeballs drilled out 
you know, and shit. And it's like, well, what do you expect? Why do you think Donald Trump is the president? Why do you think that there are riots? Why do you think that like, like, I'm serious, like, like, you're not helping with this. Like, things like Star Trek were designed to help with this. They were designed to give people, even if it's just a carrot dangling in a face, you know what I mean? And you're Mm -hmm. taking that away for the sake of content and profit and laziness, Mm -hmm. you know? I need to not God. do that again. I'm sorry that you right back into it, but um, <laughs> Simpsons, I love it. Should I do my yeah. next one? Let let let's do your next one. These next two will be much faster. Well, this one will be faster. <laughs> um, so the the next one that I had was sequels that were trying to act as their own movies. So like mm. you've got like your Blade Runner twenty forty nine. They were trying to hook the non Blade Runner audience. You know what I mean? Like, like you didn't have to know what Blade Runner was to want to see this movie. Mad mm. Max Fury Road. That's another one where like, you know, like they and that is, as we know, one of the most successful uh, sequels of all time. You know what mm. I mean? The, it, um, but for me, um, the most interesting one of those in recent memory is Tron Legacy. Right. Which is my personal favorite of those three. <laughs> um uh, even though Mad Max is quote unquote better objectively, uh, mm-hmm. Tron Legacy. When I first saw the trailer for that, was during uh, James Cameron's absolute turd nugget of a movie, Avatar, and uh, they played a trailer. I didn't even know there was a new Tron coming out. And when I saw that trailer in a sold out show opening night of Avatar, I stood up and I screamed in excitement, <laughs> and I was the only one. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> um, and I fully expected. I I had a year to prep saying, okay, I've got to accept that this is not going to be cerebral, thoughtful, spiritual, existential, metaphysical Tron. This is going to be Pirates of the Caribbean Tron. It's going to be an adventure film set in the Tron world. It looks cool. I'm good with that. I'm very okay with that. Same way I had to prep myself for the Justice League movie after Batman versus Superman. But when I went and saw Tron Legacy in the theater, Within five minutes, my jaw was on the floor, and by the end of the film, I had all but drowned in my own tears of happiness because mm-hmm. they they gave us Tron again. They gave us a film that was the same tone and spirit, taking the idea even further. They trusted that the concept was cool enough, that the the, the design was cool enough, that Disney was big enough. They trusted that people would come. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They really did. And you don't have to see the first Tron to see Tron Legacy, right? Sure. Now, Tron Legacy, ultimately, they decided was not as successful as they wanted it to be. But I still applauded that movie because for me, um, flaws and all, it's a perfect film because it is true to the spirit of the original while completely opening itself up to a new audience, right? Mm-hmm. And knew that it, half a billion dollars is a, you know, is a good job. Like you did a good job. Sure. You know what I mean? And you know, them not making a Tron three makes sense. Why? Because they spent 150, $200 million on Tron two, right? Same thing with Mad Max, same thing with Blade Runner, but they are now making one. What, what a new Tron. Ah, yes. Funny enough how it'll be like 20 years later. Um, (laughs) and if Joe Kaczynski's not on board, yawn, but I mean, I'll be there. Of course I'll go see it. I love Tron. Tron is like almost up there with, with Bill and Ted almost, but, uh, Bill and Ted, I was hoping for something like that because the beauty of Bill and Ted is that you could make, I mean, how much did this movie cost? 20 million? You know what I mean? Like, like, like 
you could make this movie for you, you don't you there's no risk there's no risk in that way. You know what I mean? Like this movie will turn a profit no matter what. And they could have utilized this to like, you know, to, to a great effect. They could have let them do anything, you know, like, like they didn't need to make it something. Mo- they didn't have to have a robot in it who like feels bad for what he does because that's modern humor. They didn't have to have kid Cuddy Dave Grohl references to hook the kitties. They didn't need to do that. You know, you know what I mean? I, I will defend Dennis Caleb McCoy. He made me laugh quite a bit. But <laughs> Joe looks so, so just disapproving. It's the same <laughs> joke for 45 minutes. And it was the only time it's kind of funny is when he's saying it when they're in hell and Bill just cuts off. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he claps yeah, for him. That That's good. the only time it was funny. Well, funny thing about that is at first I absolutely hated the character. Um, I, I just thought it was just like, oh, my God, are they just trying to recreate the death? you know, character in, in a robot now, like, is that what's happening here? And I thought it was just a terrible one note joke, but the way that they continued to beat it into the ground, it became funny to me. So I, I eventually kind of liked it. That's that family guy rhythm that I just don't, that I just don't dance to, you know what I mean? And mm. that's again, not a criticism. It's just like, not my brand. I'm a Marx right. brothers guy through and through. You do the joke <laughs> once and move on before people even knew there was a joke. <laughs> I will say, I don't know why this made me think of it. My fi- there is one joke in Bill and Ted that made me laugh so hard, this new one. And it was another, nobody else laughed, but it was just, they, when they landed really hard in the phone booth, it happens every time. But one time in particular, when they land, Bill just goes, damn it. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to go with, with uh, another piece, but I think that these are maybe getting a little redundant at this point. So I'm just going to do this one quickly and then we'll get onto your last one. Uh, and I'm going to combine two movies that I had on my list, which are actually Independence Day and Independence Day Resurgence, uh, the sequel to Independence Day. So we'll go first with the sequel. Uh, just basically, again, like I said, we're, we're kind of just uh, going over well-worn territory here, but basically just bringing back the old characters, retreading the similar beats, trying to introduce new characters, but they're all basically kind of stale, and we're not going to really care about continuing with them onto future movies i mean it's hard to imagine that even people who like this movie a lot which there are plenty of people who are saying that it's great uh are are really going to be on board for yet another one i love the original independence day and i'm not looking forward to independence day 3 if that ever happens but back to the original though the ending is so incredibly similar that we find a way to to save the day and then have to go and tell everybody in the world how to do it except for here it's in different timelines or different you know, times or whatever it is exactly. But the same thing though, uh, America wins and we're going to send the information on how to win to everyone else. Yeah. See, I'm very forgiving of stupid shit like that. As long as like the spirit and purpose are in sync, you know, like the ending Mm -hmm. to independence day is so stupid, but I really like it, you know, like they give it a virus and the same can be said about like Bill and Ted's bogus journey, which is like, like they establish in the first Bill and Ted that like time is of the essence and you can't change this current timeline that you're in. You know, they have to get to San Dimas on time for their report. And at mm. the end of Bill and Ted's bogus journey, when they do a 16 month guitar lesson, all of a sudden they're able to get back on time. Like right. that's that, that like that kind of fucks things up. Uh, but the reason they do it is so um, necessary. Something we didn't even realize was necessary until this newest one. I didn't appreciate how necessary it was that they actually had to put in the time to learn to get good. Um, right. But uh, Independence Day does the same thing. You know what I mean? Like it's it's you're in the spirit of the movie at that point. And right, I really right. liked um, Independence Day too. 
I really liked I'm, it a lot. I'm sure you did. I, but, <laughs> you but, 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 but I, I'm in the same boat as you. It's like, I'm not like, when is three coming out? I'm, and if three right. came out, I'd be like, hey, you know, what day is it? Wednesday? Nah, I don't work till six. Um, yeah. <laughs> but what I liked about two was that it's what Shane Black refers to as playing in the sandbox. You know what I mean? It's like you just got a bunch of action figures and you're having fun in the sandbox for two hours because the special effects are so like, I mean, Independence Day and Armageddon, that double whammy, they changed movies forever. Summer movies. Sure. And so like you can't really impress us with visual effects anymore. You know what I mean? Um, right. In that way. So what do you do? You just uh, th- they made their story as big and and fun as the effects were in the first one. There's a thousand characters who are all very unique and very very broad, you know, like South African headhunters and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I appreciated that. And so by the time you get to the ending with the 80 foot tall alien queen running with a gun, chasing a school bus, I'm like, sure, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Three minutes longer and I would have hated the movie, but I, I, I thought it was fun. All right. Well, what do you got for your last piece then, Joe Black? Okay, so this whole journey that I uh, have been on in my brain, we started with Star Trek, which everyone loved, but I hated. We had Blues Brothers 2000, which everyone hated, but I love, but understand. Then we had Jane Silent Bob reboot, which everyone hated. Thank God. Um, (laughs) And then Tron Legacy, which is one that kind of like nobody felt anything except for people like me. The Mm. last one here is what is, in my opinion, the most successful of these late era sequels. Um, So, and this category is a category that I call the inevitable, Mm. which is you've got your movies like Dumb and Dumber 2. Like that was going to happen one day. You know what I mean? Uh, Incredibles 2 was going to happen one day. Um, But the most successful late era sequel, in my opinion, is Rocky Balboa. Mm. And... I will be similarly comparing this to Creed as I did with Jay and Bob reboot to clerks Two. Rocky Balboa mm. is a movie that fundamentally should not have worked. It was, you know, the Rocky five was such a letdown for people. I like Rocky five, but I get again, why people felt it wasn't a good finale to that franchise. Sylvester Stallone needed a comeback, you know, like, so we knew a Rocky movie was coming, if not Rocky and Rambo and lo and behold, we got both. But I was so excited for Rocky, Rocky two is the one thing in this world that means more to me than Bill and Ted. Mm. Um, Rocky is a character and specifically the film Rocky two. And um, I was so excited for Rocky Balboa that I did not read anything. If the trailer started in the theater, I ran out of the theater. I did not nothing. And I went totally blind. And um, have you seen the film? Uh, A long time ago, but yeah, (laughs) like everyone else. Um, Sure. At the beginning of the movie, Adrian is dead. And it was so traumatic for me. It was a bad year in my life, and that was the Christmas movie. And I was and Adrian being dead ripped my throat out. I literally left the theater and punched a hole in the theater wall. (laughs) Um, and they forgave me. But about a week later, I went back because I had to sit through it. I was traumatized Mm. by the fact that Adrian was gone. And um, Little Marie, the character from the first one, comes back and she's older now and she's obviously like attracted to Rocky and like I'm like clutching the seats, just like don't you fucking do it. Like, don't you go there. Don't you can't replace Adrian, you piece of shit movie. And like I went in like everybody else being like a 60-year-old man's gonna fight a young guy. Bullshit. Oh my god, blah blah blah. But man, by the end of Rocky Balboa, I was I was I was like, win! <laughs> <You're> <laughs> right. Fucking win! He can do it. I, I they fully made me believe. 
that it could happen. And why? Because Rocky stayed true to the character. Never once did they stray from Rocky. None of the new world influence, none of the new ways movies had changed or society had changed affected who Rocky was. And that spirit cannot be broken. Right. You can only. That, that, that movie is great. I, it's I had great. So much, I enjoyed it so much. And it's a it came out. huge hit. Huge hit for what it was. It made like $100 million. You know what I mean? Mm. At a time when that was a lot of money. 06, that was still pretty damn impressive for a drama. You know what yeah. I mean? And um, just a phenomenal film. Cut to just shy of 10 years later. And now we've got the new trend, which is the spinoff, reboot, passing of the torch, Creed. Um, and uh, until this last week, Creed was the most offensive movie I'd ever seen in my life. Because before I go on, Creed is a well put together picture. It's yeah. not poorly made, quote unquote. It's a little corner cutty here and there, but like it's the, the film itself as a movie is fine. But you compare the, this character, Creed, he is somebody who was raised very, very wealthy. Mm. He was somebody who had a great job at the beginning, who but fighting was in his blood. He's just born to be a fighter, and he like had to prove himself as a fighter to to make his mark in this world. So what does he do? He takes his trust fund <laughs> and he goes to uh, Philadelphia and gets a badass, awesome loft apartment that I would kill somebody for, and then immediately starts dating his downstairs neighbor, who's this super gorgeous, talented DJ, and then her ex-boyfriend is the heavyweight champion of the world and he gets like and that guy's like hitting on her and he and little creed gets all mad and challenges him to a fight which becomes his title shot right mm -hmm. and i'm sitting there thinking like this is who i'm rooting for this entitled privileged spoiled violent tempered brat who wants to fight people mm -hmm. is my underdog what are you talking about? You know, Rocky, the gorgeous, beautiful, wonderful world of Rocky is that Rocky doesn't want to fight. He just doesn't know how to do anything else. He mm -hmm. spends all of two and four trying to figure out ways to not fight five as well. He doesn't want to fight. That's not him. He just wants to love, you know, mm -hmm. and that's all that society has room for him. And that's why he latches on to Adrian who society doesn't value her and he finds value in valuing her and Adrian. The beauty of Adrian as a character is that she grows way more over the course of the five films than Rocky does. You know what mm. I mean? And she becomes this strong, wonderful character who by the end, she's the hero. You know what I mean? And, and, and this fucking movie, this entitled little shit stain, like, is I mean, and the sad thing is Rocky is a pawn in the first one. He he's a, a fucking marketing ploy. It doesn't and he knows it, but he doesn't have anything else, so he has to do it. And this one, this guy gets his fucking title shot because the dude was hitting on his woman. Get out of here. Right. And what happens when Rocky reveals to Creed that he has cancer? What does little Creed do? I swear to God, he says, How could you do this to me? <laughs> what? <laughs> and um and so Rocky Balboa set a bad precedent for me because for 14 years now, I've known that it can be done. I've known mm -hmm. that a sequel can be made modern, can be made modern successful, and can be made modern successful without compromising the integrity of what came before while still moving things forward in a progressive way. And uh, Creed was the end of that era. Wow. 
that is a uh I think it's incredibly well thought out point there. And I, I, it's crazy because like, I actually, I really enjoyed Creed a lot. And, but at the same time, I completely understand what you're saying. And I, I've always uh, agreed. We, I think you've brought your kind of, uh, hatred of Creed up before on the show. And I, <laughs> and I, I get the, the uh, criticism of the character. Absolutely. I just think the movie overall isn't a very enjoyable movie, but right, yeah, I'm not going to deny that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I said, like I, I, I never deny that's why Creed two was so great to me because it was just a bad movie. So it's like, Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know? What right. I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. No, but as, as it relates though, to, to, to Bill and Ted face the music, I, I, I think again, these characters aren't so bad. I, I I did like I said, I enjoy them. I just don't think they're given anything to work with. I think that a better story could have served Bill and Ted's goofy very similar to them daughters. Sure. You know what but, I mean? But to do that, they need to have something that they actually do other than fanning being fans of stuff. Right. Because that's a toxic uh trend right now in media, in society. Right. Is that your fandom is your identity, and um, and you also need uh more dedicated actors, not necessarily mm-hmm. better. I don't want to speak to the quality of them as actors because I don't fucking know. I've never seen them in anything else. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That I know. Well, I like I like Samara Weaving. I've seen her in stuff. Um, she's fun. I've never seen the other one. Her though, face before. scares me, and that's not me saying she's ugly. Like she looks intense. You know, kind of like Meg Foster or something. I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. um. Like, you know, I, I'm not saying she's ugly. I hope that wasn't taken in the wrong way. I'm just like, she looks like she beat me up. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the, they just, their performances were so phoned in to me. Mm. It it honestly felt like when I used to go to like little community theater shows back in my hometown, like little sketch comedy nights. And you could tell mm. that like one person, like it seemed like like um, the actor who played uh, Theodore that she it was like, like could do like a fun impression and like oh you'll you'll be the bill i'll be the ted don't worry to just take my lead you know it doesn't matter that you haven't seen it neither have i i just like this trailer um right like so like to her credit she did a good um like caricature impression but um you need more you need alex winter you need keanu reeves and that's not that's to say you need actors why is jonah hill so funny because he's not a comedian he's an actor you know what I mean? Like he embodies what he's doing. That's why, even though I don't like him, why Leo DiCaprio can be very funny. You know mm. what I mean? Because he is totally investing in a moment. And that's where real comedy comes from. It doesn't come from what you know is funny. It comes right. from experiencing. Well, I'm going to do the finished puzzle real quick and we'll get into some closing thoughts here. Uh, finished puzzle. All right, it's going to include a bunch of these like kind of buckets of movies, but we've got sequels that were too big, uh, sequels that no one asked for, cult sequels, sequels that were trying to act as their own movies, and the inevitable sequels. And then I included in there as well the Star Wars sequel series, uh, the Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors 5 episode, uh, Independence Day 1 and 2, and as well as, uh, didn't I have one other one that I'm completely no, you didn't blank do. here? Oh, Jane Silent Bob Reboot, oh, which oh, was yeah. included in your bucket as well. Hmm. So, uh, which was also completely inevitable. But <laughs> <laughs> let's get into any final thoughts. I mean, you know, I 
instead of a, just a traditional final thought, I do want to ask you a, a quick question. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's impossible to know what these writers would have ended up writing at any given time. But do you think this movie would have worked out better 10 years ago? Or do you think it would have worked out better 10 years from now? Yes, uh, I do think it would have worked out better 10 years ago. I can't speak for the future. Um, but um, And I hate dealing in hypotheticals. But speaking 10 years ago, yes. Because if you're talking 10 years ago, you are talking pre-Creed. Mm-hmm. You're talking... You're talking... Uh, pre the Star Wars sequels. Pre the Star Wars sequels. You're also talking pre-Tron Legacy. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, in the, you're in that sweet spot. That sweet spot where... The Marvel movies had just started to kind of happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're still in their experimental phase with uh, Captain America being a great Joe Johnston 40s throwback. Um, Thor having a wonderful, like Kenneth Branagh, Shakespearean eloquence. You know, you, you haven't gotten yet to the, the flat wash. All of these movies are the same kind of era. You, you haven't gotten to the big machine of nerd culture yet mm-hmm. um so bill and ted at that time were still cult icons now mm-hmm. if anything's a cult icon by the time the new one comes out it's a a sensation you know yeah, what i everybody mean everybody loved it the whole time exactly it's always been their favorite thing exactly which is why i've chosen to tattoo certain things on my body <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> like for proof that it's like nah dude yeah you know no i liked lady gaga when art pop happened you know what i mean like right, that right um so I, I need to get a Eddie Murphy Ben Affleck tattoo. Um, but I think that you had more of a chance then because there was not this set in its way machine. Like now there is a way to do a sequel. There is a way to do a reboot. Reboots weren't even like a thing back then. You right, know, this right. is before even X-Men first class. You know mm. what I mean? Which is kind of considered to be like uh, the first like we use it reboot. Of of a major franchise, you know, or Batman Begins, mm-hmm. I guess too. So never mind, that was a lie. But <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that there would have been more freedom, not only in what they were allowed to do, but I think freedom of mind. Mm-hmm. And I feel I got the vibe that these everybody involved just kind of wanted to do another one, which is great. Right, that's great. Fine, that's a yeah, good so enough it, reason for me. They're having a great time, and that's cool. Yeah, which I'll never I'll never fault anybody for. But um, it's tough. It must be tough to be a creator these days because, you know, like it's hard to know what actually means anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Like even like does Bill like like if I'm, you know, the, the guys who wrote Ed and Chris who wrote Bill and Ted, if I, am I like, do people actually give a shit about what we were saying? Like, it's hard to even know. You know what I mean? Sure. Because now you've got filmmakers who did give a shit that don't even give a shit anymore. Hello, Kevin Smith. Like. <laughs> You know, it's a big pendulum swing that's happening right now that we're trying to kill mosquitoes with cannons or we're trying to um, balance a scale by tipping it, which is just not going to work. And there's a lot of anger and resentment going on right now. Shit, 10 years ago, Barack was in the White House. Everybody was pretty happy about that, I suppose. So like putting Bill and Ted in the in making Bill and Ted in a time like this, you almost have even more of a responsibility because people aren't being excellent to each other. You mm. know what I mean? And um, and it's always been important to me that be excellent to each other comes first before party on, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, and, 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 uh, 
so yeah, they had more responsibility now and you either have to dive in and, and, and nurture that, which is really hard to do, or you just want to do something nice, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's the attitude they went in at, which we all lost. I'm not going to lie. Like it was, um, when I saw it in the theater, I, I was sitting three rows back cause we got our tickets pretty late, but I mm-hmm. turned around and I looked and there was, I'm not making this up. This is not an exaggeration. I was in a theater the night that Donald Trump won the presidency mm-hmm. and it was a double feature. And in between both movies, they came out and basically told us he had won. And I was mm-hmm. sitting in the front row and I turned and I looked and I had never seen that many faces. So just like, oh boy, like, fuck, you know, yeah. same look on people's faces after Bill and Ted. Yeah, you got people there with their fucking kids, you know, obviously like, you know, and they're just like, you know what I mean? Like it's a, bu- it's a bummer, dude. Yeah, it, it's a total bummer. It it would be like if in Creed they added insult to injury and 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 had some stupid plot line where it turns out Rocky had paid everybody to throw the fights, or like <laughs> in his career. You know what I mean? It's like that. It's that fucked up. You know what I mean? Right. It's 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 that like like it really is. It, you know, everybody quotes the Last Jedi too, where they say they hate that movie because the whole thing is like you know let the past die, you know, like kill mm-hmm. the past to move forward. And it's just amazing to me how people forget that the bad guy says that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? The bad guy says that line. And uh, Yoda is the one who says you teach people by passing on your knowledge and by sharing with them your failures. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's. That's real. Ah, oh, yes. Ryan Johnson should have directed Bill and Ted. So, Ooh, I, I, I'd have liked that. I think now there's <laughs> a fucking movie. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think that we, uh, I think we pretty well covered this thing. And you know, it. Like I said, I, I still had fun with it. I had plenty of laughs along the way, even though it was not great by any means. And I am going to be thinking, I think, all night about the idea of the. Uh, it's something I rail against all the time is the content, you know, turning everything into content. And I think that that kind of message, now that you've put that in my head with this, uh, I don't know, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to separate the two ideas. What, well, what, you know, part of that disconnect that I have, like I said, is that I'm somebody who wants to be a part of this thing, this, Mm -hmm. this whole you know, and, um, and I work very hard at it and I maintain my fundamental, like if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything, sure. you know? So like for better or worse to the best of my ability and knowledge and capability, I stand firm in my belief, you know what I sure. mean? And this movie was, as I put it to you, was like an affront, <laughs> not only to that belief, but to one of the few seeds that that sprouted this belief in me mm-hmm. you know what i mean and um and uh it took it to a level that creed and star trek 09 had not dared to take it you know um well and that's but 
You know? I, I think I think the only thing we could do is go back and watch the first two like right now. I've already done I it. Mean, what are you talking about? I've watched it twice since I've seen this one. I needed. I I'm needed sure healing. you did. I needed healing. I don't know where people find the time to watch this many movies. Well, I, I've, 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 I've watched more movies this year than I think I've ever watched in my life, and it still don't have enough time to watch that many. Movies. To be fair, I haven't watched as many as I. You know, I was worried. That, you know, because you always ask that question at the end of this thing, like, have you watched any new movies lately? And it's right. like, no, nah, I've watched Bill and Ted, and I watched Star Trek Six. Um, <laughs> I don't recommend Star Trek six. Well, then I guess recommend the first two Bill and Ted's to everybody if they haven't seen them somehow. Yeah. And uh, why, why don't you uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you and your work? Okay, I made a promise on the last podcast that we would have our website by the time that this by September first, but that's not the case. It will be September eleventh. I know that sounds weird, but it's my mom's birthday. So, but on All September eleventh, right. we will be launching our official Blue Means Pregnant website. Um, I'll get you a link um, to it. Um, it, you can watch every feature we've made with the exception of our Western hate horses, including tellers, which is inspired by your Treehouse of horror. Uh, Hell yeah. wish I wish I hadn't killed that fish. Um, there's a lot of content on there. Um, it's half a lifetime's worth of dedication to, to, um, creativity and, 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 and uh, and community. Um, and uh, I'm really, really excited to finally have it up. Awesome. Well, people go check that out. And Joe, thank you as always for being here. And you know, we, we tried to keep it under an hour, under an hour and 15. That's fine. That's that, l- that'll work. shorter than a few of the ones we've done. <laughs> I think it is definitely shorter than the, the uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. And that movie did not deserve as much time as we put on it. You've heard others. But nothing could prepare you for the shameful stupidity that is the Jock and Nerd Podcast. Witness the hubris as they claim to be the world's authority on comic book movies. Who said that? Never said that. You've never said that. Who cares? A jock said that. Comic book, TV, movie reviews, news, and whatever they choose. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Jock and Nerd Podcast. Seriously, people really listen to this. Uh, Jock and Nerd! All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Bill and Ted's Face the Music. I know a lot of people like this movie, and uh, I I didn't love it, but I I had fun with it. Joe obviously didn't like it. And, you know, it it is what it is. And as far as that conversation is concerned, I... One of the things I love about doing this show is that all of the guests that come on and co-host it with me, they all kind of bring something that is just so different. And, you know, you get a different kind of conversation based on who is going to be on the show with me. And someone like Joe, he really breaks these things down by these particular themes and ideas that are being put forward, or at least that he is, uh, you know, taking from these movies. And I think it makes for some really interesting stuff. And so even though Bill and Ted Face the Music wasn't the great conclusion that I hoped for, uh, I think it made for a great conversation. And, uh, you know, I love doing this show. So... We've got a lot more podcasts coming your way in the coming weeks. We've already recorded the next couple of episodes. We got a couple on uh, some indie VOD movies that are out. And we're hoping to maybe do some of these movies that are coming to theaters now that theaters are starting to open up, you know, across the country again. So lots of piecing it together coming your way. Make sure you are subscribed on whatever podcast app you listen to podcasts on. We're, of course, on Spotify. 
Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, all those apps. Wherever there's podcasts, we're probably there. And you can rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And you can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Rosen. It's more of a all-encompassing David Rosen, that's me, uh, Patreon account that includes my music, it includes piecing it together, also includes Awesome Movie Year and All Rice No Beans, and kind of just gets everything that I'm working on, any kind of bonus content that is produced to go along with any of those projects, it's going to end up on that Patreon. So check it out, lots of cool stuff over there. And uh, coming up this month, there's going to be some really cool stuff on that Patreon from my music because I'm getting ready to release a new album in October. And so I'm going to start posting some special stuff on the Patreon in September in the lead up to that album. So uh, make sure to check that out. And speaking of my music, let's close the show with a piece. And I think we should close it with... One of the most rocking tracks that I've got to go along with this whole Bill's Head thing. I played Rock and Roll Billy last week, and, uh, you know, that one, that's kind of the ultimate as far as rock is concerned. But uh, I, I'm going to play something else, though, with something else that rocks. And I think a good one would be the track Cut Open from the album An Unseen Sky. So... Let's go with Cut Open. I've played this on the show before, but I, I got to close it out with something that rocks. So let's play Cut Open, and we'll be back with more Piecing It Together next week.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.